But I want to read this morning. We're in chapter 1 of Romans. Um, we are studying the book of Romans, which means we are studying in depth the gospel. And Paul has given his theme statement in verses 16 and 17, saying that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And within it, it reveals a righteousness that we don't have that's gifted to us by faith, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pick that back up when we get to 321. But um, we're going to read this morning right behind that, from read the beginning of the section that's showing us the need for God's grace. Begin with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. They are gossips and slanderers and haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Thus far, God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank You that You didn't leave us to go our own way. That you have clearly diagnosed the problem you have clearly answered and satisfied for that problem in your son. It is sin that made the cross necessary. It's grace that made it possible. Lord, help us to not be afraid to look at the parts of Scripture that make us uncomfortable. We must know well the bad news 
so that we dwell well in the good news. Giving you all the glory, resting fully in your grace, depending on your power of your spirit, living in the light of your gospel truth and taking that truth to others. So Lord, bless us this morning. Bless me to preach your word in the power of the spirit, truthfully, accurately. Help us to hear it as the word of God in the power of the Spirit, loving it, seeking to understand it and live in its light. So we pray, as Paul had stated, that your word would run this morning and be glorified. It would run in our hearts and be glorified. That Christ would be lifted high. That souls would be convicted, yes, but converted, grown. That your kingdom would be built. that we would see you as more glorious and more gracious as a result of studying this passage. So bless us as we look into it. May your spirit apply its truth to each and every heart as you know the need is, and we'll give you the praise, Lord. So bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On Thursday... A suicide bomber, strapped on a vest, walked into the middle of a crowd in the gate in the airport in Kabul and blew himself and many others up, killing some almost 100 people, 13 that we know of now of those in the Marine Corps who gave the ultimate sacrifice. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Well, he did that because it was in his heart. He did that because it had been placed in his heart. He did that because he had turned from the true and living God, as sought another God, and was taught by that God to murder, to accomplish, supposedly, that God's purpose. Why is there such violence and wickedness in the world? And why does, why does much of it wear the garment of religion? Well, the answer is, the short answer is that there's wickedness and violence in the world because there's wickedness and violence in hearts. Sin, the fall, so much we could talk about. But it all begins from a sinful heart of lost human beings. It's with good reason that the Bible says, guard your hearts above all else, for it is the source of life. Your life flows from what's in your heart, your thoughts, and a sinful life reveals a sinful heart. Do you want to know what you really think? Look at how you live. That will show you what you really think. Look at what you do. Your choice is your action. See, that bomber walked into that crowd Thursday because of his twisted, sinful thinking, and that thinking was expressed in murder, something God clearly condemns. He did it all in the name of his false God. I don't mind saying that. It's true. 
Don't be afraid. Just like lovingly speak God's truth. Allah is a false God. Okay? Along with a myriad of others that men seek and elevate and make up in order to deny the true and living God. See, we're in a section in Romans, and see, we want the good stuff. We want the, the, the gospel stuff, but, but the gospel stuff doesn't make any sense without the bad news of sin and why, that, the reason it was necessary. And we're in a section in Romans that goes from chapter 1, verse 18, where the wrath of God is revealed, all the way through chapter 3 and verse 20, where it says no human being will be justified in the sight of God by obedience, by keeping the law. So Paul is showing the Roman church, and since it's God at work by His Spirit through Him inspiring it, we know it is Scripture. He's showing us, God is showing us, why the gospel is necessary in the Gentile world as well as in the Jewish world. All Gentiles and all Jews need a Savior, and this is why. And so we've been in the section that is, is establishing Gentile guilt, and Paul's going to begin after this to turn his guns on the Jews and show that they too have rejected their God and His Word and need a Savior, coming to the conclusion that none is righteous, no, not one. None can be saved by good works. All have to be saved by grace, and that grace is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we will get there. Last week, we looked to the first part of, the, of being given over, mankind being given over. Because of exchanging the glory of the immortal God, because of suppressing the truth and turning our backs on the true and living God and creating idols, it says three times in this passage, God's gave them up. In verse 24, to the lust of their hearts expanded upon. In verse 26, to dishonorable passions. And that's, that's what we looked at last week. I called it given over part one. Right? And this week is given over part two because we see that wording again in verse 28 where God has given uh, lost people over to a debased mind. And we'll see what that looks like. What does what is, what is a debased mind look like? And what is the outflow of that debased mind? And I want this... See, we're studying through this, and most of us at least are Christians, and, and I want it to not just be, oh, yuck, look how sinful everybody is, but for us to be able to profit from it as well as being believers, and hopefully those who are not believers see it, own it, maybe be convicted and come to faith in Christ. But the main point I want to take away is really, as you're a believer, is guarding your heart against these things. We're not beyond these things and we can fall into them. And then seeing, seeing the real cause of God's wrath is ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who've turned their back on Him. So main point, guard your heart in reference to God. Guard your heart in reference to sin. Guard your heart in reference to companionship. So that's, those are the... Kind of that just spells out the three points we're going to look at from this text. And uh, I'll tell you now, go ahead and be praying for Corey because he's going to preach next week in the first part of chapter 2. And we're going to finish up from verses 28 to 31. I'm going to do a full word study on each of these mentions of sin. So we're going to be here for about 36 days. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just going to try, I try. Most of this you know what it is. And Paul is not using it, as I'll say, in a separate way when we get there. He's piling things up. This is for emphasis. This is showing us how deep the well of sin is, how black and dark and ugly it is, so that then Christ shines brighter and brighter and brighter for those 
who know Him. But guard your heart in reference to your God. Look, and he says this, and he's repeating and showing God's giving over. And we've seen this language before in the text. But look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. And what does a debased mind do? To do what ought not to be done. So last week, dishonorable passions. You'll have to go listen to that sermon if you want to know what that's about. This week, a debased mind. Just ask you, have you been given up by God? How would you know? This text shows what the result of that giving up is. So who is your God? Have you been given up? Look at verse 28. It says, because they did not see fit to acknowledge God. That's the reason for judgment. And giving over to your own way is a form of judgment. Remember that. We talked about that last week. Sometimes God will just take off the restraints and let us go our own way. A way that seems right to man, the end thereof is death. A way that a man wants to go, but the end thereof is death. But it says that they didn't see fit to acknowledge God. Well, he's, he's referring back to some of the things that he's already said. Look at back at verse 21. When he's talking about, it's plain that there's a God, and it's plain from the creation. And he says, although that they knew God, not savingly knew, but they knew there was a God. They just didn't like Him. They hated Him in His light and His truth and suppressed that on back earlier in the text. For although they knew God, now watch this, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. That's what it means to acknowledge Him, really. It's not just to mentally acknowledge that He's there. Right? It's deeper than that. It's like, it's like faith is not just mentally assenting to a set of facts. I mean, the devil knows Christ is the Son of God. The devil knows He lived and died and was raised from the grave. But the devil is not saved, not justified. So when, when he's talking about in verse 28 to acknowledge God, he's already sort of told us what that might look like in verse 21. He says, to acknowledge God is to honor Him and give thanks to Him. It's a pretty short little summary what it means to give God the honor due His name. To acknowledge Him as God. So if I'm acknowledging Him as God, I'm admitting that no others are. I'm certainly not. He's the one to whom deference belongs. To glorify Him. What is, here's another catechism question. If you're not familiar with catechisms, the very first question in the short of catechism, I don't even have to say what it is. What is it? You hear that rumble? What is the chief end of man? Why were we created? To be miserable and look like we've been baptized in pickle juice all our life. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not the right catechism. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our chief is, see, we want to enjoy Him, but we don't always want to glorify Him, right? But we find our enjoyment, true deep enjoyment, true deep joy in His glory and in glorifying Him and in acknowledging Him. So, they didn't see fit to acknowledge Him means they didn't see fit to give Him His rightful place. They didn't seek fit to honor Him as God and to glorify Him and seek to glorify Him with their lives. And yes, he's primarily talking about Gentile guilt in this section, but this would also apply to you know, Jews and to everybody who's ever lived. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he will say later. And just, just let that search you. Are you acknowledging God this morning? What do you mean, preacher? Are you aimed at His glory? I want, whatever happens, I want God to be glorified in my life. 
See, if you, if you don't have that mindset, you can't say out loud, Allah is a false god because of self-preservation or however else. And I'm not saying I'm the perfect example because I'm not. None of us are glorified yet. We're all being sanctified and growing. But is, is, the per, is what you're aimed at the glory of God in your life? You'll have to answer that. I mean, even think about it. That's, that's something we'll have to answer. But that's part of what it means to acknowledge God. And then thankful. Look, it says, he gave them up to a, uh, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. And we've seen in verse 21, that means at least to honor him as God and to give thanks to him. An evidence of grace in the life is a growing gratitude. And listen, in the hard stuff. Because it's easy to be grateful when things come the way we want them, right? But the dark times, the hard times, the tri- that's what tests us. And shows us how weak we are and how much we need grace and a Savior. But, but God won't leave us there. He'll grow us in gratitude. It's so difficult, some of these passages. If you go read Ephesians 5.20, it says to give God thanks for most things, doesn't it? Everything. And listen, there are some things we don't understand. There are some bites out of the apple of sin that we will never comprehend, that we have to just give that back to God and say, I just got to trust you with this because I don't understand this. I don't see how this is going to work for me. I don't see why this should have happened. I don't, I don't see. But grow, listen, Christian, don't beat yourself up because you're not perfectly grateful yet. Just ask yourself if you're grateful and if you're entrusting to him the hard stuff and giving him thanks through tears. Because it's difficult and it can only be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. It can only be done through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But acknowledging God is honoring him as God and being thankful. What, what, what does thankfulness reveal? It reveals that I'm trusting him. And what really reveals I'm trusting Him is when I trust Him when I can't figure it out. When it doesn't make sense to me. So to acknowledge God is to seek His glory and to be grateful to Him and run to His throne of grace and find mercy and help in our time of need. Because failure to acknowledge Him means that we're turning away from Him. Uh, Failure to honor and thank Him leads to, you can see up in verse 21 and following, leads to futile thinking, leads to self-centered thinking, leads to this world-centered thinking, which leads to misery in my life. If I'm constantly trying to nurture and protect my kingdom, those walls keep a-tumbling down. And it brings frustration to our lives. So he says here, and he's summarizing a bit what he's already said, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, since they suppressed the truth, since they exchanged God for those that are not God, since they were, one word, ran to idolatry, that gives them over to futile and darkened hearts and thinking. And what he says here, since that was true, since they rejected me, then I let them go their own way, which led to a debased mind. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. See, a debased mind is one that thinks in reference to self and pleasure. And mine, you hear it in children, right? Mine. 
we never grow out of that. We just, we just say it differently. And sometimes we don't say it at all. But when mine gets sort of pushed on, that's when we start getting angry. So It's a mind set on the flesh. We'll get it there in Romans 8. That cannot please God. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, He gave them up to a debased mind. And then, therefore, if our thinking is debased, our actions will be debased. And what is, how do, what is debased? What is it being compared to? It's compared to a right way of thinking. What, what the Bible calls sober-minded. What is that? Thinking God's thoughts after Him. Believing what He has told us. And living in that light. So a debased mind would be opposite of that. Outside of that. Not having Him in His Word define our thinking, but have our own self and our lust define our thinking. And so we naturally, since we've gone astray in our thinking, we go astray in our life. So you can't, you can't have a life that doesn't go astray without thinking that doesn't go astray. And you ha- In other words, you can't have a holy life without righteous thinking. That mind has to be transformed. We'll talk more about that later. But since they pursued idolatry and not God, He gave them over to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. So how do I guard my heart against a debased mind? Well, I believe God. I repent of sin as He defines it, and I seek His truth. His truth in my heart. Thinking His thoughts after me, Will, will purify me from that. We'll talk, there's more to that. I mean, the gospel has to come into play and we have to be converted and all that. We'll talk more about that later. But repentance and faith is what is the answer to this. But how do I know if I have a debased mind? And this is what I was telling you. Look at your actions. Rightly evaluate what you do and it will show you who you are. And that's where we're going now. Look at this list that he gives us in verse 28 and I, I the point i put here guard your heart in reference to your choices look carefully at this list in 29 to 31 um, i'll read it quickly they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness evil covetousness malice they are full of envy murder strife deceit maliciousness they are gossip slanderers haters of god insolent haughty boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents foolish faithless heartless and ruthless Their sermon is over. Go home and be encouraged. Oh, that's a gut punch, right? Help me, preacher. Help me. Look carefully at that list. This is a list that describes rebellion against God. Deep, dark-hearted, self-centered rebellion against God. This is what flows out of a debased mind in that mind that boxes God out and lives in opposition to his command. This is what is called a vice list. And it's Paul's most extensive. He's familiar, he's fond of these. If you read through his letters, you'll see a lot of vice lists. He's clear. One of the things they taught us in seminary is when you're defining something, it's as important to say what is not as much as what it is. And so Paul is always willing to define both negatively and positively. And to be clear, he's so clear, he gives a list and he says, I told you this before and I'll tell you now, those who practice these kind of things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But this is not an exhaustive list. 
And it's not a disconnected list, and that's why I don't really feel the pressure to just take each one of them and spend a lot of time on each one of them because there's overlap between them, and there's piling up of them, and it's meant for emphasis to show the darkness and hopelessness of of a, a soul without God and where that soul goes. I mean, what was the reason for the flood? God's diagnosis was the, heart, the earth was filled with violence. Filled with violence. This is a list of the characteristics of a debased mind, therefore a debased life. And think of, listen, think of this list. Let, let me try to help a little bit. Think of this list. Think of God's Word. Think of God's law. Think of God's commandments as a mirror and not a club. Sometimes we, talk, we think of God's commandments as a club. He's just out to get us and, and out to squash us and out to spoil our fun. No, He's warning us and delivering us from danger. But think of it as a mirror and not a club. See, what the wicked seek to do what the foolish seek to do, what, what the people who are stiff-arming God seek to do is break the mirror. Now think about that. You get up out of bed in the morning, and you know what things look like when you get out of bed in the morning, unless you're this really original person. Who... But you go look in the mirror, and most of the time it's not something you like. And so imagine you look in the mirror, and you see what your real situation is, and you reach over and get a hammer and break the mirror and don't change anything. Go to work. Depending on your occupation, they might send you back home with another mirror. But, but God's Word is a mirror. In other words, it diagnoses the problem and the righteous heed the bad news and make changes. We'll talk more about that later. And as you look at this, you notice another thing about it. It's inside out, what I was talking about earlier. It talks about the heart or the mind before it talks about the life. And everything flows from the inside out, not the outside in. That's why legalism will never fix you. You can never just have a don't do this anymore philosophy. Because the reason I do this is because of my heart. What I need is a new heart so that I'll live differently. And the gospel answers, answers that problem. But it's inside out. Notice the inside outness of the text. God gave them up. Look what it says. He gave them up first to a debased mind and then that, the outflow of it to do what ought not to be done. Something they thought was right, something they loved, something they wanted to pursue, and God, God took His hand let them go. But it's the outflow of a debased mind, a mind that is darkened and unable to understand and acknowledge the will of God. A mind, look at the text, that is full of these things. Full of these things. All manner of. Language like that. Look at verse 29. They were filled with all manner of. What's on the inside? Unrighteousness. Sexual immorality. Evil. Covetousness. I want it. I have to have it to be happy. Malice. I will harm you to get it. And really, you shouldn't have it anyway. All manner of unrighteousness, evil, the thoughts, the full of, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Full of. Envy is a state of ill will towards someone because of some either real or presumed advantage 
that they experience over you. It's an ill will towards those who have what you don't have or what you want or some advantage. See, this is what caused Cain to murder Abel. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's was not. Instead of Cain being saddened by his sin and repenting, he killed his brother. What was the problem between Joseph and his brothers? They envied him. That's why they sold him to the Midianite traders. What did even Pilate diagnose about the Jews' problem with Jesus? Why did they kill him? Because they were envious of him. All the people were going to him, and they wanted all the people to come to them. And he said their deeds were evil, and you know what? They were. Ill will towards someone who has more or better have an advantage, and it causes you to hate them and think they shouldn't have it, and you should. But even if you can't have it, you'll destroy it. So they can't have it. Murder. The unlawful taking of life which begins in the heart. What did Jesus say? Where did He say murder starts? In the heart. Unrighteous anger. Strife or conflict. Deceit. No false witness, right? Seeking to mislead. Malice or hostility. Willing to harm. See, Jeremiah long ago had diagnosed the heart rightly with fewer words. This is a, sort of an expansion, giving us a deeper peek into the heart. But Jeremiah, this is what, when we were converted, I was 26, by the way, when I became a Christian and went to a church that immediately put us in discipleship and we had, uh, you know, memory verses. This is one of my first memory verses. Um, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So if you ever hear anybody say, follow, just follow your heart. That might be good for Jiminy Cricket, and it's not even good for him. But that is really bad theology. The heart is the problem, not the answer. Now look what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things and manifests these things and is filled with these things. Who can understand it? Who can? The Lord can. Watch what it says, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. I remember before I came to Christ, stuff like that was really scary to me. That I couldn't hide from God, that He can see into my head. Not just what I do, but what I'm thinking, what I want, what I desire. God says, I search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. So Paul says, of the Gentile world, and listen, how many of you are Jews? Not many full-blooded Jews. I don't see any hands. One, maybe. Okay? And he'll get to you, too. In a minute. No. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. He's establishing Gentile and Jewish guilt, right? This is him. This is us outside of Christ. We just don't think it's that bad because we're comparing ourselves to the wrong thing. Compare yourselves to God's law. Have you kept His law in thought, word, and deed? See, we don't even get past the first commandment. Only one who's done it is Jesus. We'll talk more about that later. But see, see what happens is that is in the heart, so it comes out the life. The heart is the, is the fountain. And number two, debased actions. And this is a mix. I mean, you see in this list thought, word, and deed stuff. You see breaking of both tablets of the law. It's just, again, he's piling up words about sin to make a point, to bring emphasis. But I do want to point this out because we're often bad about um, sort of 
we'll pick on what we see as really evil sins and we'll let other stuff go. And I want you to notice the heinousness of this list so far and I want you to see what's next in the list. What does he say next? Strife, deceit, maliciousness, they are gossips. Gossip is not a refined sin. It's not one to be looked over. It's a very destructive life and death in the power of the tongue. We, we, uh, we can cut people up good sometimes. Sometimes we do it in the form of a prayer request. Boy, y'all need to pray for so-and-so. Did you hear what they did or what they're doing? Or what they did? Gossip, that means a whisperer. Literally a whisperer. It means idle talk or spreading rumors, especially about personal or private affairs of others. Whole cottage industries thrive. Gossip rags and all of these things. And look what it's listed with. Gossipers. Rumor spreaders and slanderers. See, you know, the gospel is spreading the rumor, but the slanderer does it with malicious intent to, to, to destroy. The slanderer spreads rumors or lies about a person in order to cause damage purposefully. And this is kind of a summary statement. Haters of God. By the way, this was a big thing for me before I, before I came to Christ. If you had told me that I hated God, I would have said, I don't hate God. You know why? I would have looked inside myself to see how I felt. That's not what hatred of God is talking about. You can feel fine about a sinful life and be hating God. You can feel fine about a sinful life and try to kind of add God to it. But John says that hating God is not keeping His commandments with joy. That's in the first, first John 5, first part. I'll let you go read that. But he says, haters of God, those who are suppressing His truth, not living His way, not seeking Him to glorify Him, not thankful to Him, and honoring Him. Now look, we'll can, insolent. Next sort of thing. It means to be rude and lack respect. Haughty. Bragging on self and despising others. Boastful. Puffed up with pride and arrogance. Full of self-esteem. That's me. That last part. In America, America's the only country where kids can come in last in a math, con math contest and feel good about themselves. <laughs> it's gone wrong. We need to be full of God esteem and therefore a right understanding of who we are. I'm not saying we go around, oh, poor me, I, I'm stink, I stink, I suck, you know, all this. No, but we, we see ourselves as who we are in God and as created in His image. And if we're His in, in faith, we're His children and having all of that define us. But not just... Inventors of evil. In other words, they use the knowledge they're given for evil purposes. Kids, it comes all the way down. Look at this. Dis look at what's on this list. Disobedience to parents. Look at that. This is a bad list. This is a de deep sin list. And it mentions, Paul says, kids, you don't get off the hook. Disobedient to parents. Disobedience to parents is a great sin. 
parents were given to you to lead you in the right way to go. And no, you're not smarter than they are. Wow. I will brag on our kids, though. I'm really proud of our kids. You know, kids, one of the things I've never said to you, when we take a moment of silence before a worship service, y'all do a great job. I hardly hear a peep. So anyway, brag on you a little bit, but tell you, watch out for that heart that wants to disobey authority because that'll just keep growing and getting bigger. You know, you can adopt a baby alligator, but that thing will eventually grow up and eat you. Um, <laughs> And look, he just kind of sums up now this really in rest of this encouraging list. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's why some of our cities are in such terrible shape. Kids raising themselves, never being taught anything, not brought under the gospel, not taught the law of God, just doing their own thing, raising each other, and, and go into the back streets of Atlanta or Chicago or, or somewhere. It's just it's the jungle. Why? Because this is unfettered and encouraged and loved and supported and ruthless. But see, that don't just happen in those back streets of those cities. It's in the heart and it's expressed in various ways. Apart from Christ, we're all foolish. We're all faithless, heartless, and ruthless. So just look at that sin that sin list, that vice list, and realize, see, Paul's not saying that every Gentile does all of this stuff to the worst they could possibly do it. He's not saying every person does all of this stuff as far down the hole as they can go. The principle is that all Gentiles and all people commit sin in thought, word, and deed and fall far short of God's glory and need a Savior. Because remember where he's going. We always want to keep up in his argument with where he's going. None can be saved by keeping the law, but we can be saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that he's, taking, he's cutting our legs out from under us for a reason. Not just to make us miserable and feel bad, but so that we will look to Jesus and not to ourselves. So Paul is, is establishing... Gentile guilt before God. We have not loved God alone. He's not been our only God. We've not worshipped Him His way and honored His name and His day. Uh, on down the list we could go. Read the Ten Commandments and see that mirror and let that diagnose you so that you don't hope in yourself, but you turn and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. More on that later. But look, the last thing I wanted to say, guard your heart in reference to your companions. You've heard things like birds of a feather flock together and the enemy of my enemy is my friend and, you know, all of these various things that you see. But if you look in verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Though they know, they do. Let me ask you a practical question. Do your friends help you sin or help you follow Jesus? Do your friends, do your compadres, do your compatriots, homeboys or girls or however, whatever language you want to use, do they help you sin and encourage you to sin or do they help you follow Jesus and encourage you to follow Jesus? Do they help you acknowledge God? Do they help you glorify Him and be thankful to Him or do they help you indulge Jesus? 
self. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, which it is true, bad company ruins good morals. The company that you choose reveals something of your heart. Would you rather be with sinners or saints? See, I remember this in myself. When I, before I came to Christ and I was young growing up and basketball player and all this, I loved to go to the church and play basketball. Okay? Great court. But I didn't like those people. They were constantly telling me to stop using foul language and all this kind of stuff. But when I was converted, when I was converted, I started to be convicted and I didn't want to run the ways that I used to run. And suddenly I found myself wanting to go to church with these weird people and hear this word preached and know more about this God. That doesn't brag on me. That brags on God and His work of grace. But the company we choose reveals something about our heart. Look at verse 32 though. It speaks of what all people, whether or not they're blessed with special revelation, do with it. Though they know God's righteous decree, and that's getting back at some of the things he's already said, they know there's a God, there's no excuse, they're suppressing the truth. And they know intuitively, even if they, because we're created in God's image, this law has been written on our hearts, there's a message there if we'll listen to it. We are part of creation that testifies to us. So whether or not you had the law, see, he's, because he's talking to Gentiles, he'll tell the Jews that they did, and they still broke it as he, as he moves on later. But he says, though they know God's righteous decree, that those who do such things deserve death. Stop. Where does that come from? Well, that's all the way from the garden. What did God tell Adam and Eve? On the day that you turn from me and go your own way and sin against me, on the day that you eat of it, you shall die. The scripture says the soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. The, the payoff that sin deserves is... Now, we're, just, we're not just talking about physical death here. We are talking about that. But the real death is the spiritual death and separation from God. The real paying for experiencing the condemnation we deserve. A real place called hell. See, people know. I remember knowing. I just loved my sin and loved my life and didn't want anything to do with God. I, I always felt like I'd have time for that when I was older. By God's grace, I did. But that was only because of His grace and His long-suffering in my life. And a lot of other people can testify. But men know that there's a God. And men know they'll have to answer to Him. But we favor sin. And we've talked already about that. So go back and listen to some of the sermons earlier in chapter 1. See, the debased know that they're living in opposition to God's law, that they're under His judgment. And from Genesis to Revelation, it's been testified of. But look what they do with that knowledge. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. In other words, they seek to gang up on God. I'm going to go my own way and, you know... All, of my, all these people around me, they go, they're doing the same thing, so it must be right. There's sinners seek approval from other sinners and seek to gang up on God and His Word. Listen, majority opinion is not necessarily the correct opinion. A lost man would kill God if he could. And they thought they did. Right? Jesus. 
Sinners flock together to seek to justify one another. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things... Listen, the such things there doesn't just refer to verse 28 and following. It's every, all the things we've talked about so far. So we know idolatry. We know turning from that and the darkened thoughts. We know impurity and sexual immorality. We know homosexuality and all of these sins we've talked about. That those are worthy of death. Why? The soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. Condemnation is due. Sin. People not only continue to practice them apart from grace working in their hearts, but they give approval to others who do. Listen, this is coming from the White House in America. This is coming from the courts. That's what I was talking about last week. We are a country that's already under judgment and way down the hole. We have a pitiful, inept, sinful administration in the White House right now. Not that we haven't had them before. Seeking to establish what God says as an abomination. Seeking to establish those things in the law. See, they're not, we're not, they don't only practice them, and they, they approve others who practice them. Just a few points of application. Aren't you glad Romans doesn't end here? I was really glad Romans doesn't end here when I was finished this week. Just let me encourage you with a few things. Number one, realize that there is a true God and that we, we will answer to Him someday. You know, really, there's a better way to say that is embrace that. We all know that there's a God and we'll answer to Him someday, but embrace that, own that, acknowledge Him so that it pays good fruit in your life instead of the bad fruit that rejecting Him pays. Secondly, realize that this vice list is everyone born apart from grace. There's none who does good, not one. There's not one person who've ever lived that deserved eternal life because we've all fallen short. Some are outwardly worse than others. That's true. Paul is emphasizing here the depth of our problem and showing that Gentiles are without excuse. None are righteous and deserve God's favor. Thirdly, realize that there's only one who's never sinned. There's only one person who's ever lived that none of this list applies to. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. Jesus kept the commandments of God in thought, word, and deed. He never thought the right thing. He always thought, I mean, he never thought the wrong thing. He always thought the right thing. He never said the wrong thing. He always said the right thing. And he never did the wrong thing. He always did the right thing. Out of a love for the Father and a desiring to glorify Him. In dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit according to the Word of God. He was the only one whose life was filled with good works. He took our malice, our envy, our strife, our ingratitude, our slander, and He took all that to the cross. If you're trusting in Jesus, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of Him. He took our sin to the cross and paid the penalty. Why did Jesus die? Because we deserve death and He came to save us. He took, he, took, he took the full cup of God's wrath due our sin upon Himself on the cross and He drank that cup dry because He was God and man 
two natures, one person forever. And before he gave up his spirit, he said, it is finished. To tell us that, paid in full. He paid the price for our malice, envy, strife, ingratitude, whatever of the other list you want to look. And remember I said the law is a mirror, but for those with eyes to see, the law becomes a window when we come to faith. And through that law, we see our Savior. It describes His perfect life for us and that that is credited to us through faith. And we see His death. He died for every violation of God's commandment. Fourthly and lastly, realize there's only one way out. There's only one way to escape what is due. There's only one way to be delivered from sin and its consequences. There's only one way to have a new mind and a new heart. God must give it through grace. If God's at work in you, you will hear the glorious gospel of Christ. And He will give you life. So that it suddenly, from your perspective, it will suddenly make sense to you. And you will be grieved over your sin and turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. See, the only answer for a debased mind is a renewal of the mind. We'll talk about that in 12.2. Only the Holy Spirit can overcome this deep-seated blindness and perversity of the unbelieving darkened mind. So if you're not a believer, I pray by God's grace that you hear today, that you have ears to hear the Word, that you believe God as He diagnoses the problem, that you are grieved over your sin and you turn from it to Him and receive Him as your Savior and Deliverer. Repent and trust Jesus today. He is patient. He is long-suffering. But wrath is coming. If you're a believer, keep trusting Him. Keep turning to Him. See, the, the whole Christian life is one of repentance and us of being transformed in our minds through His Word so that we more and more see things His way. Trust Him with the hard stuff. Trust Him with the easy stuff. Especially trust Him with your soul. Keep your hope fixed on His grace and His grace alone to be brought to you and keep speaking about Him. Remember the list in the passage. Jesus died for all these things and He will forgive them all. You haven't done anything that you can't be forgiven for if you will look to Him. That simple message is what God used to convert Spurgeon. Look to Christ. Look to Christ, young man. Look to Christ. Jesus, when He died, well, when He went to the cross, He took all of this with Him. All of our sin He took with Him on the cross. He paid the penalty for it. He took all of these sins into the grave, and when He came out, He left them there. He left them there. How far has our sin been separated from us? Read Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west. It's in the heart of the sea. It's gone if you're trusting in Jesus. And when he comes back, he's not bringing them with him. You know that? He's not bringing your sin with him when he comes back to accuse you of it again. If you're trusting in him. Now, if you're not, that's a problem. 
And in the new heavens and the new earth, there'll be none of this. Therefore, there'll be no misery. Only joy. Purpose. Life you've never imagined. Till then, we have hope. Till then, we grow in grace. Till then, we witness. So how's your heart? How are you doing on the stress test this morning? Are you acknowledging God? Is God giving you a heart to turn toward Him and seek to honor Him, to, re- to, to be convicted over sin and to receive Christ and seek to grow in living for Him? Or have you been given over and given over to indulging self? False gods fill your head with false ideas which lead to sinful actions like last Thursday's bombing. So guard your heart in reference to your God, in reference to your sin, in reference to your companionship. Give your heart and your all to Him. Guard your heart, the Scriptures say, above all else, for it is the source of life. Guard it with His words about this Jesus, and you will have increasingly pure thoughts and an increasingly pure life. It's all a work of His grace as He grows you in it to make you look more like the Savior that you've turned to trust in, been justified on the basis of, been adopted into the family of God and being sanctified to look more like Him. Look to Christ and be delivered from the bad news. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, have mercy. Have mercy. I pray that none of us are in here resisting you, seeking to break the mirror, refusing to hear the bad news, going our own way, thinking it's okay. Those are bad, bad, bad signs. So if anyone doesn't know you, convert that soul that they may turn and trust in you. And Lord, those of us who know you, us to rest in you. Help us to believe that all of our sins are paid for. Help us to dwell in the glory of an assurance that is based on your grace in Christ alone. Help us to seek to walk by faith and not by sight. Or as we talked about, living for your glory and thanking you for everything, even the things that are very harmful and seem to be harmful and hurtful and things that we don't understand. And Lord, help us to not be self-righteous judges of those around us who we see their lives are characterized by these things. But to be emissaries of Christ, faithful deliverers of the good news of the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation. We know that in our own lives we are delighted to hear, and such were some of you. But I pray that that would be true of some of those around us that we see don't know you, and we step out in faith to tell them the good news of a glorious and gracious Savior so that of them too it could be said and such were some of you. Lord, have mercy on us. Save us, sanctify us, fix our hearts and our hope on you and use us for your glory. May we shine brightly as lights in the midst of a dark world that doesn't know you. Give us the boldness and give us the grace and give us the faithfulness 
Lord Jesus, to follow you, whatever that means. For we give you praise, honor, and glory. And pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.